guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Nicole Walters, and she she's the boss. Nicole, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm so glad to be here, Neil. Thanks for having me. I was watching the trailer and cracking up. Now, what made you want to, in a way, show everything, meaning cracking up, just how you love your family dichotomy and how you guys interact? What made you, as being a marketing successful entrepreneur, decide to, to do this show? I mean, it's twofold, right? As a business owner, it's a great marketing tool, obviously. I get to showcase, you know, what we're building and all those great things. But on a more personal level, um, I wanted to show the other side of entrepreneurship, you know, that we're trying to balance families and that we are trying to figure it all out and that I'm a working mom, too. And I think that this show does a great job of doing that with laughs and love. I agree with you. And it's the, the thing that you think about it that makes it so much fun is, our lives are not just this crazy thing that we're in a boardroom, right? And we're doing all these different mm-hmm. things. Family life takes over and we're, we might be on a, fall, a call with a client or getting ready to jump on a Zoom and someone jumps in the background, right? You hear screaming somewhere yes. or something happens. You get it. You so get it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. So for example, I'll be interviewing a, a major celebrity and I'll be like, oh my gosh, they're coming down to my office be quiet, be quiet. And thank goodness. I sometimes have a co-host. I'm like, okay, I want to put it on mute. And I know, you know, the whole yes, thing, yes, yes. put your zoom it, on. It, you. Imagine that with real cameras the whole time, capturing every moment, Neil, that is my real life. And that is this show. <laughs> so what did made you, did it, I mean, did it come to you or did they come to, did they come to you in this or did you kind of come to them? So I had already been documenting and sharing the journey of becoming an entrepreneur online, both as a marketing tool and as really just authentically who I am to let people see another side of what it's like. So uh, in all of that, you know, we had this awesome production team come out to us and say, look, like America needs this. They need to see that families are made up in a lot of different ways and that moms, you know, are starting to be the leader in families, you know, more and more and that they're the breadwinners and just, you know, with Black History Month and Women's History Month. And they're just like, this just comes together beautifully. So uh, they reached out. We pulled together a show, which pretty much was them home videoing us. That's pretty much it. And (laughs) and we had a show. And so I'm really excited for people to see it this Thursday on USA Network. Was it, was it, was during the pandemic you did a lot of the filming? Yeah, so we filmed most of it this summer, and uh, it was great because we were able to stick with all the COVID guidelines, and no one got sick, and it was just really a positive thing for us to do that was kind of a break during all the craziness in the world. So it was really, really special. We could tell the camera guys were laughing behind their mask. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And just going through all this, and then how did your family feel about being filmed? You said you've done it before and kind of documenting as a really a marketing genius in certain ways you are, you know, building your firm, you're like, okay, I'm going to come up with this with my family before it happens. So they were used to it then, right? You were always doing some live or something showing your family. Yeah, my family is used to me filming. It's just that, you know, it's very different when mom's holding the camera. And when you've got like four camera guys, you know, like a couple feet away from you watching the whole time, like it's a different energy. But uh, my family's really comfortable. So what you see on camera is really exactly what we're like. It's kind of hard to believe until you turn around and look at your family, then you're like, oh no, we're all like this. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's true. We're all like this in some sort of way. And, and just what about the whole thing about a quiet house? Is your house quiet? You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Between <laughs> me and my personality and my crazy nanny, um, Eddie, he's insane. And then I've got a nine-year-old, you know, who's totally extroverted. I mean, it is just constant noise. But, uh, you know, we do the best we can. And honestly, I don't think I'd have it any other way. So you, you, when you hired him, did you think it was going to be he was going to be that kind of noisy type of nanny or not? Was that a surprise once you of got to Of course know? not. I mean, <laughs> I hired him, Neil, to do the job. He thought he was coming on board to be my best friend and get lunches. So <laughs> it's about finding the balance between the two. And uh, it's funny because on the show, we capture a lot of that. Just balancing out. I love how I'm actually getting the help and support I need as a business owner, you know? I love that. I love that. So basically that he became, you know, definitely part of the family in certain ways. But at first when he did interviewed, not the person you expected, because again, you probably with your kind of tell me like your daily structure of, again, for your business as an entrepreneur, you wake up at a certain time. I'm sure that people will love to hear that. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I wake up every morning. I'm in the office by eight. I've got client calls. I serve people in a membership community. And then, of course, I've got to create the social, the marketing, because if you don't tell people where you are, they can't pay you. Exactly. And then I try to be done with my day and home by five so I can put dinner on the table. So it is important that I have help and support. And I think that that's one more thing that working moms will be able to take from the show, that I don't do it by myself, that we all pitch in. And when I say Team Walters, I really mean it. And then we get to, do we get to see some of the team that's going on at your office too, not just the family and the way you film? Yeah. Absolutely. So the cameras do follow me to the office and they can see what it's like when I'm trying to get through some busy calls and my family pops up with whatever it is they want, because, you know, there's no boundaries here. <laughs> How did that growth start so that, you know, this is the big thing at the pandemic. Everyone's creating new businesses. Everyone's creating new ideas. We're seeing it on clubhouses, which we were talking about where you'll be on clubhouse today, even though it's not live, you know, but we're always on clubhouse and something or some sort of social media platform. What have you seen with what advice would you give people and tell us kind of your story that start, how you grew to where you are today as a successful entrepreneur? Well, the biggest thing about entrepreneurship is that you aren't trying to just uh, quit randomly and be totally unprepared. That's right. one of the um, mistakes of social media. Everything looks like it happened in a microwave minute when it's really crockpot success. So I always try to tell people, build a place to go. And that's exactly what you're seeing people do now more than ever. They're on social media building their businesses and starting to build a following and really eventually planning to get products out to those people so they can generate real income. And that's what my company does. We help support people in that transition so they do things debt-free and sustainably so it's been a really interesting journey um but more than anything i'm glad that people get to see both sides of the journey um on she's the boss on usa network absolutely and that just seems like it but so it was not you weren't an overnight success so you tell people there was a lot of struggle to get where you were to you are oh yeah i'm a 10-year overnight success it's a decade-long overnight success And then just meeting the right people and coming up with that mindset of what it means to be a brand. What would you say, what means, what you look for for your clients that mean that brand building, what do you say when you're looking at marketing them? What, what is the missing component of a lot of people come to you that need your help? What would you say? 
I would say that, you know, when they come to me, it's twofold. The first thing they need the most help with are just the checkmark stuff, the legal, the financial, understanding just some of the basics on how to utilize tools of being a business owner. But the other part is they need that clarity, which is, you know, is this the best business idea? Does my product make the most sense? And above all else, do you actually like what you're doing? A lot of times we pursue things and we realize that we don't actually love it, but we do it because it's, we think it's the right thing to do. And what's great on this show is you can see that even if I know that I'm in the right place, that I'm still making mistakes as I go and learn more about parenting, about being a business, about being a boss. And uh, and I think that it's nice to see, you know, what that looks like and how I take it all with humor. And uh, I try to always tell my clients, look, you got to laugh at yourself sometimes. And this show will let them learn that I really do that in my own private life. Are you ready for being more known now after USA Network? and even getting more popularity. Are you ready for all that? And and where you'll be recognized more and all that? Tell me. I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but what I do know is that I'm hoping that if this show brings people together and they're able to relate to it and laugh, that, you know, what's going to happen is it's not so much that I'm getting more recognized, but I've just built more friends, you know? So I'm, I'm excited to make more friends through this process. Awesome. Okay. Again, you said February 25th, USA Network. What time will it air on, on Thursday? 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 9.30 Central on USA this Thursday. All right. We'll definitely check you out and appreciate the time. And we'll see each other on social media in different places. And it's kind of funny the way social media works now. We'll see each other live together. Isn't that awesome? I hope that mm-hmm, this sure continues. will. I won't promote it, especially for this, but everyone will find you in many different places. So I appreciate you coming by. Take care. Thanks for having me, Neil. I'll see you around the internet. You too. You're listening to Neil Haley's show and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's Stefan Devereaux Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Stefan Devereaux. Stefan, how are you, man? We're back. Another week. Another week. Another episode. I know. I'm like so excited. There's always with music. Yes, and we've been getting a great response. We've been getting a great response. uh, Great. You know, these past few episodes, I'm I'm really proud and 
Thank you, Neil. You're the man. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, so we continue that process with our guest today. Introduce him. Yes. Uh, here to talk about his new single, uh, Billionaire Like Kanye West. And we're going to get into that uh, because the, the name is brilliant. Uh, Billionaire Like Kanye West, my man, Onk Six. Onk Six, I want to thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me, Stefan and Neil. I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, talk about the music. Well, we exactly. appreciate you being so, here. So take them back, Stefan. Just go ahead and take it back. You know okay, well, I, I, I'm just going to go. To, I'm going directly to the elephant in the room. Like uh, <laughs> Billionaire Like Kanye West, what gave you the idea for that song? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, billionaire like Kanye West uh, was initially uh, when Kanye West was asking Forbes to recognize him as a billionaire. So initially uh, the thought was, hey, you know, I'll do a song about him being a billionaire and kind of boost him up a little bit on his claim to be a billionaire. You know, because some of these people, you know, they might have 500 million or, you know, 700 million. And to the average guy, over a hundred millions of billionaire. Yeah. So that was the initial genesis of the song. Now, did you write and produce the song as well? I mean, you because you're performing the song as well with uh, Joel Kibble. Am I correct? Yes, ten-time Grammy winner Joel yes. Kibble. I just talked to him. We're working on a new song, a uh, new dance song together. He's traveling. But uh, yeah, he won ten time. He won ten Grammy awards for uh, working with the group Take Six, yes. which is an acapella group. So he's on uh, this this track, and also I have a mantra, uh, mantra produced for Will Smith, for Future, Rihanna. He's a multi platinum producer. So um, mantra, you know, had the genesis as far as uh, the sound of it. And uh, and then, you know, I wrote the lyrics and then the vocals, arranged the vocals and then rapped on it. So, God, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I just was saying, basically, that process of putting all together, it's a challenge, right? To get all of that together, working with a team to get that song out, right? It is because, you know, Neil, I've done songs in the past. Uh, just to give you a little bit about my history, I used to be in the studios years ago with L.A. Reed and Babyface before they were famous and uh, groups called Midnight Star and The Deal. And so that process, we were all in one studio and you could hear somebody sound. I'll never forget L.A. Reed, loved my drum beat so bad. One time he took me into one of his studios and, and we went over some of the stuff he was doing. But in this new modern process, the producer might be in Los Angeles, a singer, might be in Philadelphia. You know, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, hence my Go Buckeyes hat. So, you know, we're all over the place, but the technology allows you to do it. And so, yeah, it's a heck of a coordination, Neil. You're exactly right. And we'll break, it, we'll break that down more, but I know Stefan has another question. Well, no, I was just saying, because I, I, I want to piggyback off of that. I know that process. It has to be tough, really, because especially a guy, uh, we would call you a studio rat, you know, a studio yep. rat who sat there for years and exactly. he was able to watch the, the tapes being cut piece by and being pieced together. And now it's being edited through a computer call or a software called Pro Tools now. I mean, it's, how does that, how does that make you feel like as a person who who's been in the trenches because now you're not yeah. really in the trenches anymore. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. Actually, it's kind of wild to see how, you know, almost like you want to, I want to say easy it is now because back in the day, you know, if you made a mistake, you had to rewind the tape. I was there. I don't want to tell my age, but I am when the reel to reel in the studio. <laughs> so if you made a mistake, you literally sometimes had to get out a razor and splice things. And, you know, it was insane. And I'm glad I saw that. But, you know, today, yes, you're right. You get on the Ableton Live or the Pro Tools. You get out one of these uh, software programs and you're zipping files, you know, MP4s all over the place. So it's a totally different process than uh, back in the day when you all had to be in the studio at the same time. Yeah. Well, and see, that's crazy because of COVID that you can get away with that now. So you can be in different places and record. That's not that's nuts that you can do that. Bingo. Actually, it set us up for COVID because you're exactly right. We, we uh, were already doing this when COVID hit. Really, nothing changed much because we're already doing that, Neil. We're already, you know, sending files to each other and collaborating, you know. And you worry, though. You do worry that you miss being a creator, you know, not just a singer or a rapper or a performer, but being a creator. Sometimes in the studio, uh, you know, you're with the other guys and you hit on something or somebody hits on something, man, that's a hit, you know, you don't have that kind of collaboration anymore because you're in, you know, like I said, somebody's in Seattle, somebody's in Cali. So that's, you know, it's a little different. It, that, that's one of the weaknesses I think of it. Now, I don't want to go off on a subject of music too much, but is it true that you released a book recently? Yeah, actually, um, well, it wasn't recently. Actually, we need to do the re the remix, but I released a book, Thanks for Asking, with James Buster Douglas, a former world heavyweight champ. Oh, wow. I love to cook. And, uh, you know, Buster and I talked about it. We did a book called Buster's Backyard Barbecue, Knockout Diabetes Diet. And uh, Oprah loved it. it. The funny thing is, my, my degree's in journalism. And so I've experienced writing, but I'd never written a book, you know? And so writing a book's a little different and putting it together is different. But one of the things I felt like is if we just give the information. So we told Buster's life story, how he nearly died. He was a diabetic after fighting Mike Tyson, over eight, became an alcoholic, near, nearly died, was in a coma for four days. And then we told my story. My father was a diabetic who worked in the hospitals, but didn't take care of himself. So, and then we gave 25 recipes, our favorite recipes. And one uh, I created called the, bar the barbecue sauce. And uh, everybody loved it. Everybody, Jack Nicholas, they wanted to put it at Muirfield. Everybody loved our barbecue sauce. So people always ask me, you know, hey, will you make that barbecue sauce for us? Will you make that Buster's Backyard Barbecue? And uh, Oprah liked it, put it on her favorite things on her website, and it was there for three years on her website. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, That's it was incredible. pretty cool. How many years ago was that book? So the initial book was released 10 years ago. Uh, I think it ceased being on Oprah about five years ago, about the time she left network and went to her own network uh that's about the time they pulled it off but it was out there for at least three years wow 
Yes, um, Mr. Neil, he uh, he interviews tons of authors. So I, I thought that that should have been a question more for him. So I'm sorry, Neil. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to that's take okay. That no, that's fine. Just keep going. <laughs> but um, oh, cool. cool. Yeah, he's a, yeah, yeah. He interviews tons of authors. But okay, so uh, your pro. Okay, so your process from writing, writing a song, and actually writing a book, like you gotta. I, I want to know because I've never uh, written a book. I've done some songs, but I've never written a book. Uh, did you look at the challenge and say, I can take this thing going and I can do it? You know, when you went to write a book or did you say, well, since you are a songwriter and you had that, that history of writing songs, did you say, I can look at this, taking it, uh, like writing an album chapter by chapter. I mean, what was your process for writing a book? Did you use Oh, thanks for asking. Challenge? Yeah, no, that's great. Great question. Uh, so it's actually a little, it's similar, but it's a little bit different. Um, so that's an excellent question. Uh, you know, my degrees in writing journalism, as I said, and so that's why I wasn't afraid to write the book. Uh, but I later learned, you know, the formatting for a book and everything's a little bit different. My book is not, uh, when you see our book, it's not, you know, um, Shakespeare, you know, it's, it's, uh, telling the story, short stories about what we did and, uh, you know, and then again, the recipes. And so the new version, which we are doing a new version. So definitely need to talk to you, Neil, we're going to update from, you know, all mm -hmm. of the things that we did with the book, all of the people that we met, you know, Bill and Juliana Rancic, and we had a, a, a cooking thing with them, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the whole nine, all these people that loved our cooking. We're going to put that in the new book and say, hey, you know, we're at ESPN and Mark Schlereth, you know, four-time Super Bowl winner, runs up to us and is like, wow, this is good because everybody's talking about how you eat, what you eat these days. But anyway, back to the book process is, uh, again, I had never written a book, but I figured if we just told those stories first. So writing the book, um, I suggest if you're out there and you're wanting to write a book, look at books that you you like look at books you like a look at the formatting would you agree neil yes definitely you want to pattern certain things to see well how can i differentiate it but I'll, how can i make sure it's as good or even to make it better looking at what's out there and how can you differentiate to make it even better exactly same you know i would say the same thing is just you know neil hit the nail on the head you know, don't don't recreate the wheel. I'm always for that. In my music, I started writing music before my brothers. My brothers were incredible musicians in the 70s. They opened up for the Jackson Five, Fifth Dimensions, The Whispers. So I've always been around entertainment. I was a little kid. And uh, again, showing my age. I remember my brother playing on the stage with Marilyn McCoo. He was 15 years old. Wow. And he was playing it's on Marilyn <laughs> with Billy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah but he, and he did a drum roll and drum rolled his sticks over her head. And she just thought that was the coolest, slickest thing. You know, he did a drum roll and rolled off the drums onto the stage and kept the beat the whole time. Drum rolled over her head and back. This is, I think, at the Ohio State Fair. But uh, anyway, um, I started writing before my brothers because I listened to what I like. And I said, let me make something, you know, the patterns. There's patterns in music, there's patterns in television, there's patterns in book writing. 
And if you can learn those patterns of what you like, like Neil said, and then differentiate, put your own imagination into it using that pattern. Don't recreate the wheel. No, that reminds me of, <laughs> it's funny you said that. That's actually how I learned how to write songs. Um, I used to look at the credits or the lyrics and the album covers. And right. Yeah, so yeah, I'm showing my age to album covers, but I used to I used to read the lyrics and I would write it down on one piece of paper and then I would go and I would study it and write like each line and write each line in my own lane, my own form, my own taste. So I, I totally understand that process. That's funny that you mentioned that you said that. Wow. But Oof, man, Neil, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. So looking at, you know, we still are talking about the song that's out now. Uh, yeah. What, so you got the process together, but tell us about the song now. You thought of it, Kanye, you wanted the millionaire like Kanye. How millionaire like Kanye West. Come on, man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, billionaire. Don't, don't downgrade him. Who's likely to get Oh, that? he's a millionaire now because Trump <laughs> lost. No. <laughs> <He's> so mad. <laughs> No, so uh, we, um, I looked at that, and then, honestly, the uh, George Floyd thing happened, and I just thought, man, I have to mention some of that in the song, so it got a little deeper, you know, I thought, I can't be out here and release a song that was Pollyannish, you know, hey, you're a billionaire, hey, it's cool, I mean, today you could do that, but at that point in time, it was an inflection point in our whole society. You know, every time you go to a church, you had Pastor Parsley, you had everybody talking about it. Um, you know, so it's like, um, you know, Ken Copeland, everybody was talking about it. So it's an inflection point in our society. And so it's something that you can't not talk about. See what I'm saying? So it's something I had to mention. So I changed some of the lines in the song and then got it ready and we released it and uh, had 80 radio stations worldwide. A lot of Christian stations picked it up, which I thought was interesting because the song is billionaire like Kanye West, but it's really not bragging or saying, you know, I think they got it. It's like, not, I'm not saying billionaire. I took that braggadocious fun element and, you know, toned it way down to where I'm saying, hey, that, you know, yeah, you want to be a billionaire, you want to be great, I want to be strong, but I'm also relevant in our Christian society. You know, I'm looking at how people are viewing, you know, things going around them. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was uh, really, this, this song, I had a comedy rap song years ago and it got, it went to number five on Sirius XM. But uh, I was impressed or surprised at how quickly radio stations picked this up worldwide and a lot of Christian stations. Well, you think about it uh, today, Kanye West, he's pretty much doing a lot of, uh, I guess, gospel music now. That's right. So I guess, you know, when people hear billionaire like Kanye West, and then you also add Joel Kibble to the song, who has, you know, his name is out there in a the gospel take community. Six. So take six, you know, um, I mean, I guess that kind of helps too. Um, so, I mean, you were surprised, but here's my question. Now, have you ever met Kanye West? No, I, you know, what's funny is I've never met him. I know people who know him recently about 
three weeks ago, maybe more, don't get me lying, but uh, it's, I think it was in January, might have been the end of December. But anyway, um, the president of his record label, uh, the rapper Pusha T, and uh, Stephen, uh, I can't think of his last name, ah, just slipped me, I'll think of it. <laughs> but they had a, uh, a chat on, um, on Spotify's rap channel. And they had me on the chat. Oh, so, awesome. I, I, yeah, cool. I talked about billionaire like Kanye West. We talked about Pop Smoke, who's a rapper who was killed recently. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, so we talked about Pop Smoke, and then we talked about billionaire like Kanye West. So I would hope that he's aware of the song. I did reach out to his press people, and, you know, I know he's going through a lot right now. So... Yeah. You know, I'm just not sure uh, if he's, you know, really listened to it. You know what I mean? But I, I would think that, you know, the president push a T would have said, hey, man, you know, we we're talking about this record today on the Spotify uh, official Spotify chat. I wouldn't be shocked if he uh, if a couple of months from now you hear that Kanye West has sampled the song. <laughs> he got you coming in. You're doing a hook. I mean, because, you know, he's done this. You know, before, I mean, uh, I think the rapper designer, you know, he Kanye said, well, I could take the beat or you could be on the song. And the kid decided, well, I'll just be on a song. So, you know, at least I, I think that's how the story went, you know. But yeah. you, would you be willing to work with Kanye if, it, uh, if the opportunity came up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if it's about this song, most definitely. But yeah, I'd be willing to work with Kanye. Uh, you know, he's an incredibly creative person. He's just... Uh, you know, dealing with some stuff right now, but I'd love to. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about, so what's next? You talked about this song. What's next for you, Tony? Uh, so thanks. Uh, the next thing is my song called, uh, now this is a fun song. It's all about uh, Friday. Thank God it's Friday. So it's thank God it's Friday. And uh, Joel's on it. Uh, he's singing on this song again. I welcome you guys if you want to be on it. I need some background. I need some people to say yay on it. So there you I'm go. Step on, it. you're in it. Uh, I'm in it too. I'll be. In it too. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. It's going to be so. It's I'll give you a little. It's a whistle. Oh no, I can't do the whistle. <laughs> I can't even do the singing. But I, I'll give you. A, it's thank God it's Friday. Yay! You know. I like so that. I don't want to like kill. <laughs> That's why I have Joel on it. <laughs> I like that. I really do. I really, I really like that. So, like, yeah, okay. I'd love to have you guys on it. I, I would love right, to perfect. Be on we're we're in it, and then we'll have to have you back on with Joel to talk about it. And when no, I want to, I want to have him back on so we can talk about this book because I'm greedy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and if it's going to be healthy, then I'm all for it. Because tonight for dinner, I'm going to. Is Buster going to be involved in this one? The re right. You, you know, I don't know. We talked about it. He actually asked me last year. I had too many projects going on because he was doing his uh, 30th anniversary year last year. Yeah. Yeah. And he talked to me about it. I just felt like between my projects and his, it would have been rushed. It would have been the perfect 10th year anniversary, you know, remake. I need to interview Buster for one reason because I'm gonna have Riddick Bow on soon too. So I think it's starting. <laughs> oh, sweet! And then I'm hoping for uh, also working on just a couple other boxers. So yeah, 
That's that's definitely. I'll get you. Uh, I'll introduce you to Buster. Him awesome. and uh, right now, him and his son have this uh, a shirt t-shirt line they're rolling out. So I'll introduce you to him. Perfect. Great. That's always what it's all about networking, Stefan, you know, and that's the, the whole thing is it's all about networking and, and really trying to help each other. I think the collaboration works so much better when you do interviews, than you go on this one app I'm just addicted to, but we fight too much. We have to learn to get along. I was told that I was being too, uh, trying to run it professionally they wanted to just have conversations and that's club oh you're talking about clubhouse neil you're not supposed 545 followers we're gonna have to talk about clubhouse when we get off because i'm gonna have to teach you how to uh, deal with clubhouse Uh, no i mean that's because i basically somebody told me you're you're too much of a bulldog tony wouldn't you want (laughs) if you were running and you're a nobody you know, a nobody, Stefan. And wouldn't yeah. you say, would you tell somebody who's a somebody that, you know, the reason why your one your, your room went over a bunch of people is because Glenn Moshire from 24 was friends with caregiver Dave Nassani and Dave pinged him in. And it was because I was following Dave and Dave was my client. <laughs> Glenn Moshire came in and that's why oh, we're yeah. blowing it up now. And you're going to be telling me to calm down. <laughs> oh, Tony, tell them it's not a good idea if you go and network with somebody and then you then you just you squash them. It's like uh, no, it's Tony, not. True, you know, to hear a true story. Yeah, I'm gonna hear. Sorry. You want to hear a true story on that? Of course. Uh, L.A. and Babyface. Uh, years ago, they were with the deal, and uh, I got fun a couple funny stories. Do they know me like that? Nah, they don't know. I mean, this has been you know 20, 30 years ago. So, but I had a record. I had a quote unquote uh local mini hit you know it was a regional hit record it's called dirty blue jeans you could find that out there but anyway um they had a record called body talk and um we their manager used to manage my brother so we all had the same group of management and the whole nine they asked me do you want to be a roadie either for keyboards or drum and that would have meant for la or babyface i could have been their roadie starting out that's nah i'm as big as those guys i got me a regional hit oh my god i was on the cover of the local newspaper you know oh so i went out to la one time and i see this billboard and it says the deal on sunset you know and i'm like oh man then i realized how stupid i hit my ego exactly our egos were younger compared to now is big thing so stefan what last question you have for tony well no I, 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 let me add this uh the deal yeah um yeah sorry tony uh they went on you know they went on to have i only think of you on two occasions baby right. face and, to, and, and la reed went on to start la face become to two of the biggest producers of all time yeah i'm sorry man i'm sorry <laughs> bad choice yeah i'm sorry but you know what though you know what though that's something that you know, you can tell people because I'm going to tell people that story, and I hope it's people true. learn because exactly. especially you never know, you just never know, you never know. But, Wait, I, I, mean, but I, I listened to him completely and said, "Sure, next time I go in that room, I'll just chill out." And you know, I'm just trying to come up with great conversations. But if people are complaining all, uh, about me outside the in the hallway, I'm going to say, "Okay." If they're complaining about me outside the hallway, I'll make sure that I I behave. Please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Stefan, what last question you have for Tony? Yes, where can we find you on social media, man? Because I know uh, these people are going to, we're going to play the song 
during the show, but we know people are going to uh, want to find out where to find you. Yeah, he's oh, going to hit us you. up, and you got to—you'll be working with my team to make sure we get the rights to have your song and utilize it, and if, if and play it uh, during the the, the show during the show and for the teasers. But yeah, where can we? Oh, find thank you? you so much. Yeah, uh, so Unk Six Music at Instagram and Unk Six Music at Facebook, and uh, same Unk Six Music on TikTok. Those are the primary. So easy. Okay, easy. Okay. Follow Easy. me on TikTok, Neil Haley official, on TikTok. Neil, I'll join you there. Some of the work my team's trying to do. It's funny. I, I we interviewed Suki last week, and I tried to put it up on TikTok, and they went and it slowed down the song. I don't know why that happened. Maybe because they thought it was not my. But I I got permission to utilize the B roll. Interesting. It's weird, Stefan. I try uploading it, won't work. It works on the other platforms. Well, oh, that's not good. Neil, oh. you know, that's happened to me before, and I've had to contact uh, my distributor, Sony, and I've had to contact them before. They've taken down my stuff, you know, and said, oh, TikTok, oh hey, you know, you TikTok, gotta... because they thought, is that why they slowed it down so much? It could be. I mean, YouTube's taken me down. Instagram's taken me down. Facebook. I mean, they've all taken me down before, and it's like, this is my song, so I have to get oh, with Sony and say, hey, guys. Can you uh, please uh, let my music on my own on my own page? You right, know? So, so, so I'll hit you up we'll, when your next book's out. We'll try to network, see how we can help each other out. And I, I'd really like to interview Buster Douglas. And I know you would too, Stefan. We'll have a son on too. So that's perfect to kind of put the tandem together. And then uh, once the song, and we're, on, we're in a song now, right? So when yeah, you're I, yeah, it, yeah, I was about to say, I need, I, I need to find out when this song, when we could do this song, you know? Yeah, you let us know <laughs> when we need to be part of that recording. We're on. Yes, we will. Yeah, All next right. week. And uh, I'm just going to have you guys do some yes. So I'll, I'll get it ready for you for next week. All right. Yeah, Perfect. you let us know. Okay, man. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you Six. I want to thank you for joining us. And that was Thanks, the Stephon Devereux. Thanks, Neil. Celebrity segment. Take care, guys. Thank you. Take care. Celebrity slots. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today! Hi everyone and welcome to Dr. Caxton's podcast, Timeless Truths in Medicine and Marriage. Dr. Caxton, what's going on? How are you? i fine, Neil. How are you today? Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, a topic now scares me because I just heard your topic and it's... Uh, <laughs> When's the next pandemic? I don't want to hear that. Yes. Um, I know it's not so much odd as it is a reality in terms of what happens with the next pandemic. Really, what happens when the next pandemic strikes? I heard something about a week and a half ago that Bill Gates is saying that there's going to be another pandemic. 
And frankly, the guy is such a nice guy and he's accurately predicted this pandemic for sure. And uh, you remember when we were doing the connecting the dots, <laughs> how his name came up in the dots that were connected. So to an extent, from what I know about biological weapons, uh, defense and all that stuff that's been researched and established, I won't be surprised if he's got an inside look at what's been planned. If it's a pandemic or not, we don't know. But when Bill Gates, intelligent guy with a lot of, uh, you know, connections all around the world, uh, philanthropy around the world, has his ears to the ground and he says, you know what, there's going to be another pandemic. And he wrote the uh, foreword to the most authoritative book on vaccines in the world, the Plotkin's vaccines. Hey, Neil, who am I not to believe him? So my take on today is really what happens with the next pandemic? And I'm talking to doctors and the people who are civilians were smart enough to be able to hold their doctors up to the task and say, doctor, if there's another pandemic, what are you going to do? So Neil, let me ask you. Oh gosh, well, I, what am I going to do if there's another pandemic? I have no idea depending on <laughs> the strain and how deadly it is. So let me let me let me slam the let me slam the question this way then. Let me say you're a civilian and I'm military, right? Being that I'm in the profession Correct. of medicine and you're not. You know, we use that word civilian just to refer to people who are not in the profession itself. So you're a layperson and I'm a doctor and you've seen how uh, the dynamics of hydroxychloroquine, even ivermectin, and a few other drugs that are useful were downplayed over the last 12 months plus. And you realize that if the doctors in the US had been bold enough, something different could have happened. Maybe less than 5,000 people could have died instead of 500,000. So when a new pandemic it hits our shores, would you be asking your doctor, hey doc, are you gonna wait for randomized placebo-controlled double-blinded trials before you start giving me something like zinc, if they say zinc works, or are you going to step out of your comfort zone and say, doc, zinc is shown to be safe. Vitamin C has been shown to be safe. Will you recommend that my family or my kids, my wife and I take those things? when this pandemic hits our shores? Is that, will that be a reasonable question for you to ask your doctor? And would you yeah. ask this question, Neil? It would that, but the doctor would look at me like I have two hats probably. <laughs> yes, and that's the challenge. This last, just a week ago, I looked at the New England Journal series for the last uh, several weeks, January uh, 7th all the way to February. And I saw this um, article on the Brazilian um, coalition study, there was a comment about it. And also there was another hydroxychloroquine study and I saw a comment about that hydroxychloroquine study. And it's a very interesting approach. You know, in July of last year, um, the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, I don't wanna mention his name because you know who he is, um, said that hydroxychloroquine was ineffective, even though all the documents and the research show that it actually is effective. And so I looked at that paper and I wrote about it 
in my book. It was actually called a Brazilian study. And it was the first uh, paper that I discussed in the hydroxychloroquine debate. It was the first research paper. It was about 667 patients in that study. And they were trying to see whether hydroxychloroquine will work in patients who had mild to moderate disease who were hospitalized. But remember, one of the key components of properly caring for COVID-19 patients is that you treat them before they get sick enough to be hospitalized. It's one of the basic tenets of anybody who knows what to do with COVID-19 patients. So these were patients that went into the hospital and they were described as mild to moderate, okay? But in that same study, the amount of oxygen that they were given them, even though these patients were called mild to moderate, the amount of oxygen they were getting tells us, I mean, tells me as a clinician that these patients were not mild to moderate. Now, that's not the only thing that was wrong with that study. But let me tell you how we in medicine, in, when we write journals, whenever, let's say you publish a journal in um, an article in a journal today, and it's published, uh, put out there on Monday, the following Monday. Sometimes by Friday, letters will file up to the editor of the journal you published in, and they will complain or lodge their complaints or their different views about your study and analyze your study. So in the subsequent um, issue of that journal, all those complaints will come up and they will direct them to the editor. And then the editor will now direct the complaints to, the, to you and say, hey, Neil, you wrote this paper, you talked about the following, the people who were reading it said, no, they disagree with you, can you respond? So you respond based on your expertise and you tell you know, your perspective again, maybe things you didn't mention in the original paper. So that clears the ground. Now that should not take two months. It shouldn't take three months. It shouldn't take four months. But in this case, in this particular study called the Coalition COVID-19 uh, Brazilian study, they published that original study in July. And I'm, I want doctors to listen to this and I want the lay people to listen to this particular component that I'm sharing. Because if Bill Gates is saying there's going to be another pandemic, we cannot, and I say, we cannot afford to be like passive animals or human beings when that pandemic strikes us, we've got to be more proactive, otherwise another million or so will die again. And it will look like it's an, whether it's a pandemic or not, becomes irrelevant. What we do once we get that information that this is a new outbreak is what is the game changer here. So on July 23rd, uh, 2020, this Brazilian study was published showing that hydroxychloroquine didn't work. And, um, I think shortly after that, about a week after that, uh, the doctor heads of the NIAID, National Institute of Allergy, well prominently known, said hydroxychloroquine is ineffective. So basically they were waiting for that article to be published. But that was a problem. There were at least 10 problems with that study. And those 10 problems, CNN ignored them and began to talk about how hydroxychloroquine was not helpful in patients with COVID. That was the real final article following which Dr. F came out and said, hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. 
So there are 10 things that were wrong with that uh, paper, a minimum of 10 things. I put them in my book in uh, September when I published the HCQ debate. But do you know that they did not publish those letters to the editor, several of them, until January. As a matter of fact, there were some printouts that I made that response from the editors, they were written on January 7, 2021, for an article that was published in July 23, for it was a, it's ridiculous. So they waited about six to seven months before they published the other comments and complaints that people had. Now, Neil, to be honest with you, this is a sham study, in my opinion. It was the first study that I looked at in the book. And there were 10 things minimum wrong with that study. And what I'm saying here is this, hydroxychloroquine is not only effective, a lot of people put a lot of shoddy papers together to try and say it is ineffective. And in this Brazilian study, I picked it up because it was the trigger. The Dr. Fauci statement was a trigger for me to write that book in eight weeks or less. And that Brazilian study came out just a week before Dr. Fauci announced that hydroxychloroquine is ineffective. That's why I picked this particular study and started breaking it down one by one. So let me start with the conclusion of that study. We won't be long on this. The conclusion of that study is, well, there were some problems with our study, but uh, nevertheless, we, in our study, um, you know, it's like in our house, we, we do anything we want, even though we know ethically or morally or spiritually, it's not the right thing or even legally, it's not the right thing to do. So the authors of the study basically said, in our study, what we found out was that hydroxychloroquine was ineffective. But then as part of their conclusion, they said, well, our study does not prove that hydroxychloroquine is ineffective. So the doctor listening to this is gonna say, well, I read that paper. No, you didn't read that paper properly. The authors of the study were saying, hydroxychloroquine is ineffective, but even though we're saying it's ineffective, we're not sure that it's ineffective. That's a problem. And there's so many others, so many things wrong. They give hydroxychloroquine is supposed to be given early. They did not give those patients early. They started about seven days from the time the patient got sick with symptoms. Meanwhile, the only way to treat this thing with hydroxychloroquine is to start immediately. I'm saying that to say, we don't have, because if this vaccine that they're given to everybody, you know, which is pretty close to the placebo. Right. If you find out that people are still getting sick, either the media covers up the number of people dying now, or they admit that people are dying, they need to do something else. We're going to have to go back to hydroxychloroquine. I'm not insane. The research that they've done, they manipulated the data to make it look like hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. And if people don't have to die, don't kill them. If people can get a treatment early, give it to them. Exactly. So hydroxychloroquine, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, is a good drug. So then comes ivermectin. Ivermectin, this, um, there's an eye mask uh, uh, Pro, pro, protocol that was put together by uh, this Florida um, frontline critical care uh, 
physicians for COVID-19. And they had to go to the Senate and the uh, Senator was insulting the doctor, even though he didn't have a clue and the doctor knew what he was talking about. And in the midst of all of this drama, people were dying. And we say, okay, let's say you have a disease. One clinic in um, Jamaica says, hey, we started using this drug, it works. Even if we're not sure it's going to work in everybody, shouldn't we try it in our people so they don't die? And if it works for them, start using it, even though we don't have all the information because the only other option is death or severe disease and hospitalization that disables you or keeps you in hospital for weeks. The answer is yes, use the drug that may be found to be helpful to prevent death. Now, ivermectin has been shown not only unlike remdesivir, which is a useless drug, they made $2.5 billion from that. Ivermectin has been shown to reduce hospitalization, reduce the need to get on a ventilator, reduce the shedding of the virus. Actually, it's far more effective in my opinion than the vaccines, come to think of it. But the question I have is, Neil, when our doctors think of this clinical trials, and there's several clinical trials right. confirming the effectiveness of ivermectin. And we're still playing in the shadows. But what are we as doctors going to do when the next one comes along? That's my question. And I want everybody to know yeah. this. Yeah, so that's a great way to finish up. I think that when do you think that next pandemic, can you give us a prediction? It will happen soon or later? I am not good with that. And okay. I don't play, I'm not sure that I really understand the mindset of the people um, developing the biodefense uh, bugs, you know, and it's okay for them to develop those things just in case somebody enters into America and tries to, uh, you know, spread a, a biological weapon. Yeah, that's, could, that could happen. That yes, could, so, that so be, it, it makes perfect sense to prepare and simulate tests and all that stuff. But if we're now using that for profits to make money or to make some pharmaceutical companies make some money, and even while you're making money, we say, okay, there are other drugs that work. Did you know that there's an anti-ulcer drug that's over the counter that works and has been shown to reduce the sickness and the hospitalization duration in COVID-19? Very simple over-the-counter drug. It's called Pepsid. I'm sure you've probably seen the advertisement for Pepsid over, yes, there's a guy called Friedberg and he did a study on it in New York City with 1,620 patients. It reduces the likelihood that you will stay X number of days in the hospital, that you get sick and get on the ventilator and you know lose your ability to breathe for yourself. And that's just Pepsi. What am I saying? There's an anti-cholesterol medication that's also been found, statins. So there's gotcha. so many things yeah. that work and we are not getting anybody from the big uh, you know, institutions, CDC and IH. One of my doctor friends said, do you think that, that Harvard University doesn't know about this stuff that they work? He said, think about it, Caxton. Harvard knows this thing works. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all about money. So at the end of the day, we all know everything's about money. So best place people can connect with you. Also, I know you have a book on your website also, right? That yes. involves uh, that people can get absolutely free. That involves um, 
the treat helping treat COVID nineteen. Yes. So so the nature of that book really Neil, is this uh, remedies that you can use over the counter and the science behind using ginger, garlic, you know, menthol, eucalyptus oil. I didn't know that drug companies actually paid a lot of money for the research, and they did. And those are remedies that once you get exposed to somebody, you can take right away. And I have that book on my website, drcaxton.com. So anybody can go over there, just type in your email address, it'll pull up and it will send a PDF to your website, a PDF. Uh, to All right. your uh, excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming by. Uh, great information again for your show. And uh, uh, thank you again for having the opportunity to co-host with you. And then we could go to Dr caxton.com as you said and also follow you on all social media and you're willing to answer any questions regarding COVID-19 absolutely really the update so I appreciate it and Neil one thing I think will be very helpful as a gem for listeners is there are some doctors that will prescribe ivermectin in the U.S. okay if you go to flccc.org or flccc.com type in if you get sick if your family member has COVID you'll see a list of doctors, some of them can prescribe anywhere in the US who can prescribe ivermectin for your family before they get really sick. And that's where we're going next. Thank you. Thank you again, appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Caxton. That again, that is the uh, Dr. Caxton's podcast. Take care.